the truth is you and I deserve absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's amazing in my life how perturbed I get when I think life doesn't go my way. And yet the truth is I deserve absolutely nothing. You see, everything on this earth is God's. God owns it. God made it, created it, made us. And so it is His stuff, and He allows us to watch over it, to take care of it, and to use it. And I was thinking this week about how ridiculous I, how ridiculous it is the way I use His stuff sometimes. And how ridiculous it is that we use His stuff. You know, there, there are certain times uh, in the year when you have to kind of evaluate where you are and how you're using your resources. And April 15th is one of those days. The last three or four years, we have gotten a, a nice uh, tax-returned refund. We've gotten a nice little gift back. And so I've always been excited to do my taxes in January to get that money back as soon as possible. Well, this year in February, early part of February, I did my taxes, and I was not receiving a large refund. I was uh, receiving about $36. And the software package I was using to do my taxes was going to cost me 39 when I sent it in. So I was going to be down 3 all right? So I wasn't as excited, and so it came this week, and I hadn't touched it since February, and I went back and I redid my taxes, and it makes you understand where your stuff goes. I'm not here to talk about political debate. I'm just saying stuff goes different places. In the middle of that, I was reading about a story from Texas. Now, I have lived in two states in my life. I've lived in Tennessee most of my life, but for three years, I wandered in the wilderness of Texas. We have a couple of Texans here. I apologize, kind of. Um, so I lived in Texas, and Texas is known for a lot of things. What are some things Texas is known for? Okay, all that, whatever that was, yeah. It's big. They're their own thing, the Lone Star State. They're known for being tough. They're known for all this stuff. But, but there's something else, a particular sport that Texas is known for. Football, right? Texas football, and not just the Cowboys, and not just the University of or Texas A&M, but for high school football. I saw this week, uh, when I lived in Texas, Susan's brother lived in a suburb north of Dallas called Allen, Texas. Allen's just north of of, uh, Dallas. It used to be one of those places that was about the size of Goodlettsville proper, not, I mean, you know, just a few thousand people, and now has thousands of people. It's grown one of the fastest growing towns in America. Well, I saw this week Allen, Texas, is going to build a new football stadium for their high school, which, you know, their high school apparently needs a new football stadium. And so they're only going to spend $60 million on a high school football stadium. Now, I'm sure that their people are appreciative that they get to go watch football in a $60 million stadium. But it just reminded me how crazy it is we spend money in places that we spend it. Now, I don't want to delve into your lives particularly today, but just think in your own mind, what are some crazy stuff that you have spent good money on? Anybody ever done that? Yeah. You don't have to tell me. Just done it, right? We've spent crazy money on 
crazy stuff. And so the question is, isn't it amazing that God still gives us stuff to take care of? Because we do a pretty bad job of it sometimes. And sometimes the stuff we take care of breaks down. I mentioned last week that um, my, uh, my air conditioning on my van was going out, so we went and got that fixed. That was lovely during tax week. Um, couldn't write that off the taxes, unfortunately. But we got our air conditioning fixed in our van. And, and you love those calls when you call and they call and say, well, we got the front part of the air conditioning fixed. All right, what about the back part of the air conditioning? We don't know what's going on with it. We'd have to look at it another day or two. No, you don't. We're taking it home, all right? Stuff breaks down. And so you spend your money on all this stuff, and what you eventually realize is if we're not careful, we could spend our entire lives investing in things that are just going to break down. Remember that quote that we used uh, last week um, that came from Jim Elliott? It says that, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is talking here to a group of people. And what he's talking about is a way that they can further their relationship with God to literally a life of intimacy with God. Now, we think about a life of intimacy with God. There are a lot of things we think about, and churches talk about that if you want to be a life intimate or close to God, you need to be in prayer with Him, which is true. You need to spend time in His Word, which is true. You need to spend time with other Christians, which is true. But one of the things we often leave out, and I look through two or three spiritual discipline books about how to grow closer to God, nothing is in there about giving. About giving of our time, our talent, and our resources. And the truth is, a spiritual discipline we need to cultivate, discipline just means process or practice, that we need to develop in our lives is the process or the practice of giving. Paul says it this way in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. How many of you ever lived around, grew up around a farm? A couple of us. I didn't grow up around a farm. I grew up around a community around a farm. My great-grandparents had a farm uh, that I would go and visit on occasion, Mama Bus and Daddy Bill, uh, in Gibson Wells, Tennessee. I know you all know where that is. It's right next to Brazil, Tennessee. Y'all have been there, I'm sure. But they had a farm. And what you learned on the farm is that there are certain rules about farming. And one of them is, if you want a big crop, you've got to plant a lot of seeds, right? You don't have to be a farmer to know that. That you want a big crop, you've got to plant a lot of seeds. When Susan and I bought our first house, um, we were, we'd been married for several years. And we, uh, we were actually renting a house, and the owner decided she wanted the house back. And so we had to find a house very quickly. Well, we found a house that had been built in a cul-de-sac. It was the first house, and they... We're, you know, we were trying to figure if it was in our price range and all of that. And they said, well, we'll knock it down to this if you won't make us landscape it. I'm like, well, landscape, that's fine. Just throw some grass out there. Yeah, we'll do that. And so we, uh, we bought the house. And then we looked out, and it was all dirt. Right? I mean, there's no, no grass, just dirt. And 
At that point, you have a couple of options. You can figure out how to get grass out there, or you can live with dirt, whatever you want to do. And so we, we found out a guy in our church at that time came up to me and said, Hey, Pastor, I know that you probably don't know how to, how to see the field. I said, Well, it's not, I don't know. I, just, I don't know if I've got the time. Right? I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And so he said, well, here's what I want to bring out. And I want, I've, got, I've got my dad's farm equipment. And uh, on the weekend, I'd like to come and, and seed it for you. I said, great, you know. And so he comes out, and he seeds it, and he fertilizes it, and he waters it. And then he leaves and tells me, just water it. I'll be back in a few days. I said, okay. And so he came back in a few days, and he spread more seed and more fertilizer. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm overseeding. I said, how much is that costing me? Can we just seed? We don't have to overseed, do we? He said, no, you need to overseed. Well, the guy next to me just seeded, and we overseeded. Guess who had the better yard? We did. He, he seeded ryegrass in the winter and Bermuda in the summer. So we had an unbelievable yard. Now, forget the fact I had to mow it three times a week all summer. Otherwise, I'd have to wade through it in the, you know, Eli thought he was on an adventure. You'd have to get a machete out. You had to mow it all the time, but it grew like crazy. Why? Because he overseeded it and did everything you were supposed to. The, the principle of that is the more you seed, the more you get. Here's a second principle. What you seed is what you get. All right? I'm going to illustrate that this morning. Eli, Eli, are you listening to me over there? Okay. Hey, you want to come down here for a second? Just for a second? No. All right, can I come over to you? I'm going to come to you, okay? You and Joshua can answer this question together, okay? All right? I'm going to ask you a question. Joshua and Eli, if I plant strawberry seeds in the ground, what kind of plant am I going to have? No plant? That's right, because I kill plants. But if I had a plant... If I put strawberry seeds in the ground, what kind of plant is going to come up? Watermelon? Laura? Strawberry. Wow. Eli, that is correct. Everybody give Eli a hand. All right. If you plant strawberries, you get... Thank you. Strawberries. All right. Here's the point. Whatever you seed, you get. That's the principle of the harvest. Well, there's a passage in Galatians that says, if you sow... If you sow in the flesh or in the sinful things or in the worldly things, then you're going to get a harvest of worldly things. But if you sow in the things of the Spirit, you're going to get a harvest of spiritual things. Now, that makes just perfect sense, doesn't it? Whatever you sow, you reap. However you sow is what you reap. So here, let's, let's just do this. Let's put those two together. The amount of spiritual things you sow is the amount of spiritual things you reap. And so here's the real question. What are you sowing? What are you planting? Paul looks at him and he says, if you sow generously, you'll receive generously. Now he's talking to a group of people. He's trying to get a a collection, an offering together. And he wants people to understand that what we're doing here is of important stuff. And I want you to give. He goes on to say that if you give, you need to give with thought. Not trying to just give away whatever and not think about it, but you need to give with thought. But you shouldn't give with reluctance. You shouldn't say, I I don't know. And you shouldn't give because you feel like somebody's making you give under compulsion. You should give with a cheerful 
heart. Now, that word literally means a hilarious heart, a laughing heart. I've used this example almost every time I've talked about money because I just think it's a great example. It's when our VBS kids come and bring their money during the week of VBS, and they're coming in the penny wars, boys versus girls, right? Because they are so excited to bring their money. Can't believe it. They run down the aisle. They want to bring it and put it in the offering plate before it's time. Now, when's the last time you saw in a worship service somebody trying to get up here to give their offering before it was time? We don't do that, right? I was thinking about this week. When I grew up, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. That's hard to believe, isn't it? I grew up at First Baptist Dyersburg. And First Baptist Dyersburg was a very traditional, and in many ways still is a very traditional church. They have a half a million dollar pipe organ in their sanctuary. Huge pipes everywhere. And it's a church about this size. Um, And so we had a half a million dollar pipe organ. And so what do you think we heard every week? Pipe organ music, right? If we didn't, you know, what you sow, you reap. You give $500,000 for an organ, you listen to an organ, right? And offertory time would come always. We started service at 11 o'clock because everybody started service at 11 o'clock. And you could almost put on your watch that offertory music was going to start at 11, 17, and 30 seconds. Just timed every week. Same time, same place. And when the offertory music started, when the guys went out to give the offering or to take up the offering, what was amazing was my mom would turn to me, whether I had said anything at that moment or not, and go, shh, shh. I hadn't done anything. Why? Because the only time when it was mandatory for you to be quiet, completely, and still was offertory. Preacher, preach, you do whatever you want to. When the offertory was happening, you were still and quiet. Why? Because you were supposed to be reverent. Now, I'm not against reverence, fear of the Lord. But what's interesting is Paul says that ought to be the time when we're giving with the most joy. Right? It ought to be an exciting time. I was a part of a service one time when uh, it was a, it, we were in a congregation. I was during summer camp that I was doing, and we had visited this congregation. And they, we, gave, we had the offering, and the pastor was not convinced that people were excited about the offering that day. So he decided to take up a second offering. And this time the offering was going to include laughter. And so it was a strange, mind-blowing experience for me. Part of me felt like I had walked into something that wasn't Christian at all. Why are people laughing when they're giving an offering? I read this scripture. I realized that they were doing it, and they weren't compelled to. Well, maybe they were by the pastor a little bit, but they just were enjoying it. Giving brings joy. Now, here's the reason. is because when we really give, not only do we reap what we sow, not only does joy begin to fill our lives, but it's also because it makes us useful to God. It makes us and our gifts useful to God. Here's the amazing thing. It's that God can take ordinary physical stuff and turn it into an eternal investment. So we become useful to Him. I read a quote this week by a pastor named A.W. Tozer who said that it is an amazing thing that God can take just regular old money and make it eternal difference with it. All right? 
and I need a volunteer for this, and I need a volunteer with money. You got money, Jackson? All right, come on up. Is it big money or little money? Okay, bring me big money. If it was little money, I was finding somebody else. All right? I need to see a bill of whatever you got. That's fine. Thank you, sir. You can have a seat. No, I'm just kidding. You stay. <laughs> There's a $20 bill, right? Plain old paper money. Normal, average, nothing special about that 20 right? Now, what could we do with this $20? I'm not going to take it, okay? What could we do with this $20 and make eternal impact? That's good. That's a good idea. Somebody else. You could give it, but what kind of things would happen? You can have it back for a second. What, what kind of things could happen with just $20? I mean, you could buy food for the needy. You could give shoes to a child. You could send money to a missionary that could see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You could give to a ministry that spread the Word of God out there, and that $20, that $20 that's normal that many of you in this room have but weren't as brave as Jackson to come up, is used for an eternal difference. Think about this. When you give money, it can turn into something that has everlasting impact. Now, let me just ask you a quick question. I'm not saying don't go about buy food, okay? But if I go out after after service today, Eli and I are here by ourselves today, so we it's just Eli and I, and I let him pick wherever we go. And today we're going to the Blue Sky Buffet. Amen, right? Okay? Blue Sky Buffet. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to spend some money at the Blue Sky Buffet to buy food, right? And when I buy that food, I'm going to eat the food. And I will be good today, and nothing will be left on my plate. All right? Plates. Yes, thanks. At least I appreciate that. (laughs) Nothing will be left on my multiple plates, all right, my multiple trips. So... But here's the thing. When I eat that food, it is gone and yummy. Yes. It's gone, right? Now, it satisfies for a moment. But guess what? About 6 o'clock tonight, when we're getting ready to start our discussion on Mormonism, my stomach is going to be ready to eat again. And so my money has gone to a temporary satisfaction. Now compare that to money that is given to the kingdom of God that can have eternal impact. Those who sow generously will reap generously. I've often said that when I was growing up in youth group, they used to scare me to death with what the judgment was going to be like. But even for those of us who are believers, because there will be some judgment for those of us that are believers, that we're going to get to heaven and they're going to put up a big V back then. It was VCR tapes. Actually, it's beta, but you know now, the VHS. You put the VHS of my life in, and it would show everybody all the bad things I'd done. It used to scare me. Here's what, as a pastor and as an adult, scares me even more: is that I'm going to get to heaven, and instead of that, they're going to put it in my HD DVR, whatever. They're going to put up on the screen 
all of the opportunities I missed because I wasn't willing to let go of some of my physical stuff. That's what scares me more. We're at a time when we're standing on the edge of what I believe is a great future for our church. And we're not, we're not talking about painting and renovating and remodeling this building just so we can go, hey, look, we've got a nice building. The reason we're doing it is because I believe God's calling us to invest in this building to help us to reach people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your handouts that you got last week, a little booklets, there's some demographic information in there, and I shared this on Monday and Tuesday night, and I'll share it again in the week ahead on our Monday and Tuesday night meetings and on um, Tuesday's luncheon. But within a small radius that most of you drive from within, some of you drive without, outside of that, there are thousands of people that live right around us. And my thought is we need to do everything possible investing in the kingdom of God to see those people come to understand who Christ is. There's been a lot of debate in recent years about why the American church or even the Southern Baptist Convention is declining. And one of the things that's interesting is as you look at the way that we are declining, what you're also seeing is a decline in the amount of money and time and talent and just man hours given to church and to the cause of Christ. And what I can't help but think is, as we give less and less of our time, our talent, our treasures, ourselves, of all that we have, it is no wonder that we are reaping less and less and less. And the question is, is it time to change that direction? This week, uh, they released the tax returns for the president and the vice president. I don't know either one of them. I don't know their hearts. I mean, you know, I've seen them on TV. But one thing stood out to me that nobody said anything much about. I was on the vice president's thing, and the president made a whole lot more money than the vice president because of book sales and some other things. But the vice president, he only made about $330,000 last year. That's it. And this is what amazed me is that he gave. Now, if you talk to him, I'm not sure where he is in his personal faith with Jesus. He has a public um, stance on being religious, he gave away to charity $4,000, roughly. And nobody thought that was too low. Now, I mentioned my tax return. I'm not gonna, I mean, I'm not bragging, but I know most of you in here probably can say the same thing. My tax return showed a whole lot more in charitable contribution, and I do not make $330,000 a year. Right? But the thing that bothered me was nobody was in an uproar about that at all. We, as believers, we don't hold him to the same standard that we hold believers. I'm not saying he's not a believer. I don't know. need to be giving more and more of our stuff away. C.S. Lewis was asked one time, how much should a Christian give? And he said, I don't think in percentages. This is what I think. If I look at my neighbor who I know is making the same amount of money I am, and I'm living just like they're living, I'm giving away too little. That as a believer, because of that deep love the Father has for us, I ought to want to give more and invest more and to sow more. Up on the platform in 
Some of y'all, when you did your prayer walk, were a part of this, and some of you weren't a part of it because you didn't know what it was or what was going on. But we've begun to put names in these vases of people and families that need to know Jesus or that are unchurched right now and need a church home. We're not going to go through the staff. We're not going to go through them and look at the names and, oh, who tried to write that? This is just between you and God. But what's going to happen is I'm going to ask you to begin to pray that as you're saying, yes, Lord, to this capital campaign and whatever God's calling you to give money-wise to this campaign, that you would also say, yes, Lord, to being the person that shares your faith with whoever's in that jar. And to pray for them. And to pray that God might bring somebody else. Maybe somebody else beat you to the punch. That's okay. This past Wednesday night, we, we talked about our Bible reading plan, and we were in the book of Luke, chapter 15. And in Luke 15, it talks about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. And somebody, we were just talking about observation. Somebody said, it reminds me again of how much God loves lost people. And the question that I ask is, would he say the same about us? So I'm asking you, in a moment we're going to do an invitation. I'm going to lead us into that a, a little bit more in just a second. But if you haven't put a name or you've got another name you want to put in these jars, in these faces, come and there are pens and there are note cards up here. Write them down, fold them up, and stick them in there. And we're going to leave these out for several weeks, months, to remind us that the reason we're talking about doing renovation, the reason that we do what we do on Sunday morning are the names in those vases as we're called to take our gospel to them. Let me just ask you a couple of real direct questions. What are you sowing right now? What kind of seed are you putting out? Is it the stuff in the fleshly, sinful, or even just worldly arena? Or is it things in the kingdom of God? The second thing is, and I hesitate to ask it, but the Lord's laid it on my heart. Do you even care? Do you care about the kingdom of God advancing? Do you care about God's work being done on this earth? Do you even care about reaping spiritual things?